Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Verses 5 to 11. And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we must believe it is through grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Thanks, Fiona. Hi, everyone. My name's Ron, and uh, we're going to, as Chris said, start looking at the book of Ruth tonight. So if you want to find that in your Bible, it's kind of near the start. Uh, if you find a big book like, Jeremiah, uh, like Deuteronomy, go a little bit further to uh, Joshua, Judges, and then a little book called Ruth. As you're doing that, I want you to think for a moment. We've been talking a bit about grace this year. We've just finished a series on the means of grace. And I wonder if you were to sit down and write your story of God's grace in your life, of how you've seen his grace at work in your life, what would that story sound like? What would it sound like if you were to write it down and then tell that story? As I think about my own story of God's grace in my life over many years, I realise that many of the big moments of God showing me his grace have happened in ordinary places. Like my work desk back before I went into ministry or a hospital bed or up late with young kids on another sleepless night, around a meal, over a coffee, going for a jog, watching a sunset, holding grandchildren. Most of us, when we start thinking about God's grace in our life, realise that it's in ordinary places that God unleashes his extraordinary grace. And as we come to the book of Ruth and journey through it, we're going to discover over and over again that in ordinary places, God is unleashing his extraordinary grace. And tonight, particularly, we're going to see how even in the ordinary place of bitterness, God unleashes his extraordinary grace. Well, as Chris explained earlier, we're interspersing the story of Ruth, the the readings, with the preaching. So we're going to get to our first part of the story, which is verse 1 to 5 of Ruth 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while 
in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilian. They were Ephathrites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about ten years, both Marlon and Killian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. We know about this story that uh, it's set in Bethlehem in the period of the Judges. Now, the Judges is the book right before Ruth in our Bible, and you could read the whole book of Judges to get a sense of what it's like in the period of the Judges, or... You could do a little cheat. The very last verse of Judges actually gives a really good summary of the book. Now, that's not to say don't go and read it sometime. Absolutely read it sometime. But the very last verse simply says, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. The time of the Judges, no king in Israel. People did whatever they wanted. That's how they rolled back then. No king, unfaithful people. And we're introduced then at this point in time to Elimelech to Naomi, whose name means pleasant, that's important to remember, and her two sons, their two sons. And they're on a journey from Bethlehem, which means house of bread, to Moab because there's a famine in Bethlehem. And the famine is most likely uh, to be seen as God's punishment for the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel. Now, it may seem innocent that they're going on a trip to Moab. It's another country where there's food. Surely that's a good thing to do. But perhaps it's not as innocent as it first seems to us. While Moab is a neighbour of Israel, they are not Israel's friends. And more importantly, leaving the land of Israel wasn't just about going to find food. They were leaving the promised land of God and leaving the God of the promise. And very quickly, this move to Moab becomes tragic. Within 10 years, we're told that Naomi's husband and both of her sons had died. Immeasurable grief was unleashed on Naomi. I cannot even imagine what that would be like. Perhaps some of you have a better idea. Naomi and her daughters-in-law are in a very ordinary place. Grace to them seems like a very distant memory. But the story continues. Let's see what happens next. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to each of her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. 
May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still a hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. It's more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. What devastation Naomi must have felt at this part of her life. And devastation not just with life and how it had turned out, but she was devastated with God. Even though her name meant pleasant, she is not in a pleasant place. And the story of Ruth, particularly this chapter, is not a story of shiny, happy people just getting along swimmingly in the stream of life. But we know about Naomi that as devastating as her situation was, she hadn't given up on God. She hears about the Lord's provision back in her hometown in Bethlehem and she decides to return back. But just as her leaving wasn't just about food, neither is her return simply about food. Our English translation doesn't pick this up really well. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I understand that in the Hebrew, the word return is used 12 times in this section. It's making a point. Naomi is returning not simply for food. She's returning to the community of God's people. She's returning to the land that God promised. She's returning to the God who made the promise. Now, interestingly, the provision of the food by the Lord is the first of just two times in the book of Ruth where God is seen as the prime actor in the story, where he's the one that's initiating something. But don't be tricked. Because even though there's only two times in Ruth, this being one where God is seen as the prime actor, God's hands are all over this story. Because all through it we see again and again that in ordinary places, God unleashes his extraordinary grace. And we begin to see that in this conversation that Naomi's just had with Ruth and Orpah. Naomi wants kindness, the Lord's kindness, for her daughters-in-law. And she can't see that happening in Bethlehem. And so she tells them to go back to their own place. Now the word for kindness here is another Hebrew word which I'd love you to know, to store away in your head. It's the word hesed. And perhaps you've heard that word before. It's, It's a word that talks about God's covenantal faithfulness, how he is faithful and loyal to his promise. 
how he is kind unconditionally and steadfastly to the things that he has, he has said. We might most closely associate it with the word grace that we find in the New Testament. Despite Naomi's bitterness, Naomi wants her daughters-in-law to experience God's grace. She hasn't given up on God. Now, the daughters-in-law refuse to go until finally Orpah is convinced by Naomi of the hopelessness of staying with Naomi. In human terms, there's nothing for her. And so Orpah leaves. But we're told Ruth clung to Naomi. Ruth clung to her bitter mother-in-law and Ruth clung to what seemed to be a hopeless life before her back in Bethlehem. So what's going on here? To help us understand, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, the faithful Israelite is urged, fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast or cling to him and take your oaths in his name. See, Naomi wants her daughters-in-law to be blessed with God's hesed, his, his kindness towards them. But Ruth demonstrates kindness towards Naomi. Ruth demonstrates hesed toward Naomi. And we hear that more in the next words that she says. Watch the video again. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Ruth is accepting the Israelite faith. And it's not an impulsive thing that she's doing. She's considered Yahweh from a distance perhaps at first. But up close, as she's watched Naomi's life, she demonstrates, Ruth does, confidence in God's kindness. And so she commits wholeheartedly to Naomi, wholeheartedly to Naomi's people, and wholeheartedly to the Lord God. You know those things are inseparable? You can't commit to God without being committed to God's people. But think of the extraordinary kindness of Ruth. In the middle of Naomi's bitterness, when Naomi's trying to send Ruth away, on the ordinary road from Moab to Bethlehem, God unleashes extraordinary grace. Grace to Naomi 
through a Moabite woman, a foreigner. While Naomi may not see all that God is doing in her ordinary moment of bitterness, God is showing hesed to Naomi. Through Ruth, God is clinging to Naomi. This is what we learn about God's covenant love, about his hesed. Even while Naomi and her family may have been unfaithful in leaving Bethlehem in the first place and going to Moab, God remains faithful. Even as Naomi's life becomes ordinary, God doesn't sit on the sidelines and say, told you so, Naomi. Told you that would happen if you left my promises. But because God is faithful, he goes into Naomi's ordinary and there he unleashes his extraordinary grace. Ruth knew of this hesed. Ruth exhibited it to Naomi and Ruth's commitment challenges and encourages our own commitment. Jesus calls for faithfulness to God and his promise when he calls his followers to take up their cross and follow him. He, he lets us know very clearly in that imagery that the life of the disciple is not always bright and smooth. It's a hard road to walk. But disciples cling to Jesus. They carry their cross like Jesus carried his. And disciples cling to Jesus when paths are ordinary. We cling to Jesus when things aren't going right. We cling to Jesus when things seem to be hopeless. We cling to Jesus in the everyday and ordinary parts of life. And as we cling to Jesus, as your story of grace would remind you, God unleashes his extraordinary grace. Well, Naomi is returning, but is she clinging? Let's listen to the end of the uh, first chapter of Ruth. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. We know this already, but when Naomi gets back to Bethlehem, She says it out loud to her friends. No longer is Naomi pleasant. She's bitter. No longer is Naomi full. She's empty. And she apportions blame, or so it seems, to God. What do we make of what she says? Is Naomi right to be bitter? And has God, is he the one that's done this? Well, first of all, we can't minimise the tragedy that Naomi has faced. 
regardless of the reasons for it, Naomi rightly feels disaffected. She has experienced untold disaster. She has journeyed through what at least to me is unimaginable pain. While we might hear her words as blaming God, we can also hear them as laments. Naomi is returning to God and as she returns to God, she wants to be really emotionally raw about her grief and she pours it all out to God. Everything that's churning on the inside just comes out and is presented to God. Lament is a good response to the trauma that we experience in the world. Because lament looks for something more in life. Lament is discontent with the evil and pain that's inflicted in the world that we live. And lament looks with hope to God that he might do something about it. That he might provide something more. But as important as lament is, so is the trajectory. Naomi lamented with a trajectory toward God. She was returning to him, returning to his promise. And I want to encourage you tonight that the trajectory of lament is as important as the post of lament. Don't let lament drive you away from God. Let lament drive you back to the hesed of God. Let lament drive you to your knees Fill your eyes with tears as you pour out your grief, longing for God to act yet again with his loving kindness. Well, what about God? Where's he in all this? Is Naomi right to blame God? It's interesting that in the book of Ruth, God doesn't have to jump in and defend himself. He doesn't have to jump in and say, hang on, Naomi, let's let's sort this out a bit. We know from Jesus, who offers some wisdom on this issue of suffering and who's to blame. We know that uh, in John chapter 9, Jesus was confronted with a man who was born blind. And he was also confronted with a whole lot of assumptions in the community of people at that time. Assumptions that it must be someone's individual sin that's caused this blindness. And we know from how Jesus interacts on that occasion that no such neat line can be drawn between individual sin and suffering. The reasons behind human suffering are complex. And while the Almighty One is Lord of all, that doesn't necessarily equate to him being the direct cause of all. Sometimes human sin does bring about suffering for ourselves or for someone else. Sometimes I suffer because of my sin. Sometimes other people suffer because of my sin. But other times suffering has nothing to do with individual sin. There's so much that we don't know about why it is that humans, 
at given, any given point in time, experience suffering. But what we do know is this. God himself came into the ordinariness of human suffering. And when he came into the ordinariness of human suffering, he unleashed extraordinary grace. Hanging on a cross, Jesus embodied the type of lament that we see with Naomi. Jesus cries out on that cross in lament, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But his suffering wasn't brought on by his own sin. His suffering was brought on by the sin of the world across time, across people groups. And his cry was a cry of pain and lament, not a cry of blame. He laments at the state of the world. He laments that it's had to come to this But in the very moment of Jesus' anguish, when he hangs on the cross and cries out in lament, at that very moment, God unleashes his extraordinary grace. Grace that enables forgiveness. Grace that's unleashed on humanity. Grace that enables you and I to return to God just as Naomi returned. Grace that changed the trajectory of the world. Grace that was unleashed in what some could say is the most ordinary of places, a Roman cross, a cross for criminals, so that you and I could experience the love and forgiveness of God. On the cross, Jesus clung to his Father. And on the cross, God clings to you. Perhaps you've wandered away. Perhaps you've left or you're leaving. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're experiencing famine. Perhaps you're searching for God's provision. Perhaps you're in the middle of a season of lament. Wherever you are, know that nothing changes God's clingability. He's shown you that he will cling to you no matter what because he's clung to you in Jesus. Nothing separates you from God's hesed, from his grace and love towards you. God clings to his people. God clings to you. Cling to him. This is the grace that Ruth's kindness points us to. The Hesed of God that we've seen there in chapter 1. But just in case you missed it, at the end of chapter 1, we're told that Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest is beginning. A coincidence? 
or another ordinary place where God will unleash extraordinary grace. We'll have to come back next week and find out. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for your extraordinary grace. We thank you for how we see it, how you show grace through Ruth to Naomi. We thank you how we see it in what you've done for us in Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, that you cling to us. And tonight, Lord, I pray for any who might be walking away, wandering, just experiencing the tragedy of human life, confusion about who you are. Father, I pray that they will know by your spirit that you are clinging to them. And Father, I I pray that by your spirit you will enable them to cling to you. Thank you, Lord God, that in Jesus you cling to us. We praise you for it and we love you for it. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.